And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Episode 8 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough, and we have special guests... Mark Carrig, and I don't think he's a special guest anymore because exciting announcement. We have reached an agreement with Mark and the menagerie of hats behind him to join this podcast uh, as a regular member of the roundtable. Congratulations and welcome, Mark. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be back on Beyond the Scrum 2.0. (laughs) We just had so much positive response when you would come on and jaw with Andy. Uh, We had at least one email, and I might have sent it, but that's an overwhelming response for this. So uh, welcome. Would would you want to talk some baseball and get goofy with us? That sounds wonderful, Grant. I I love baseball. I'm getting goofy with you guys. (laughs) Andy, how are you doing uh, post-COVID? Better. uh, Still have like a kind of nasty cough. But like, I feel, you know, I feel like relatively like myself. I've been, you know, I've been at the gym the last couple of days clanging and banging. So I'm going to get down to my fighting weight of 185 possibly, uh, you know, only 50 pounds to go. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes this summer. Is it possible that the cough could be because of the five Macanudos a day? <laughs> Can you buy a Macanudo somewhere? I have no like idea. Like if I, I went just... to a bodega, could I get some here in New York? I don't know. You can you can get Phillies. I know that you, they sell those all you could, over the place. You could get some. You could get some Phillies, man. Yeah. Welcome to Blunt Talk. <laughs> the Blunt Talk of the baseball world. All right, we are going to jump right in. We're going to talk some Juan Soto trade talk because I don't know. It, it feels like it's a subject I can't get tired of. I know that I should be able to get tired of it. But there's just Juan Soto trade chatter. Will the Washington Nationals trade Juan Soto? Should they? Who would want him? Blah, blah, blah. I'm endlessly fascinated by this. Are you guys over it? Or are you like, does this interest you at all? Because to me, I can talk about this all freaking day. Yes, I find it quite interesting because there's not many times where such a thing has happened. Right. I think that's what's most interesting about it to me is that when you look at who gets traded in the sport and and when that happens in their career and what they've done to that point, there really aren't very many players that have been moved um, at this stage of their career where they're young and they're already great. Miguel Cabrera 
Andy and I were kind of texting about this earlier. That's the only one, at least in my very quick research of this, that I can think of that fits in that category. And by the way, I think he had like a 143 OPS career on a four-time All-Star when he was traded at age 24. And he was just getting started. I mean, that is wild. And Juan Soto is every bit as great, you know, at what he does. So just the mammoth implications of something like this are what keeps me fascinated. That and the fact that it's really never happened before, except for this one instance. Yeah, I mean, I think like it is it is interesting in that it, like it's mostly an intellectual exercise at this point. I think, you know, Ken Rosenthal wrote about this um, a few days ago, basically sort of outlining all of the sort of inherent challenges to try and making a Soto trade, like which number one is that the Nationals are currently up for sale. So, you know, you, you probably wouldn't want to have sort of major decisions like that made before, you know, you sort of sell the team because the value of the team is uh, pretty significantly tied up in him at this point. And in the same way, right, like why it's kind of challenging to uh, theoretically strike an extension with him, um, which you would have to believe uh, whatever number, you know, would start with a four, possibly a five, you know, if you're actually going to seriously get him to consider an extension, not that he could get that uh, theoretically in the free agent markets, we just don't know, but you know, you pay for the privilege of, you know, keeping him out of free agency. But like, what the problem with a Juan Soto trade is it's, it's like very difficult to build one that either side would take almost like, so the other day, so yesterday I was like bored, right? And I just started texting people. I just decided like, all right, I'm going to build a Dodgers trade, right? Like I'll just, I'll just see. So I took the top of the Dodgers farm system. Basically I took their top, uh, took their guys two through four. Um, it was just stupid because whatever, like, the, but this is because that the Dodgers already traded Kiebert Ruiz to the nationals. So their top prospects, a catcher, Diego Cartaya. How about this? For this sake, I'll throw Diego Cartaya in there, right? So I, uh, Diego Cartaya, uh, the two arms, uh, 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 Miller and Pepio, uh, Michael Bush, who's like the number four prospect, who's like one of the Dodger conveyor belt guys who's OPSing 900 in the minors. And then I uh, threw in uh, Edwin Rios, who's like a good, young, controllable corner player. Uh, and I said, uh, for Juan Soto and, uh, and Patrick Corbin, because you have to eat the money coming back. And the general response I got from everyone is, you're an idiot, leave me alone. Basically. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense for either side, basically. Because... If you're giving up Juan Soto, you have to get the Herschel Walker trade back. And if you're in a position to make the Herschel Walker trade, why would you do that? Because everyone knows how the Herschel Walker trade went. At this point, right, three years of control, it's just like you have to give up so much. And if you're the Nationals, you have to ask for so much that it just it's difficult to build one that makes sense. He's so rare insofar as being in his early 20s and already a legit MVP, a perennial MVP candidate. How can you trade someone like that without getting the Herschel Walker? You can't. What's the point of having a baseball team if you're not going to keep Juan Soto? Even if he leaves in free agency, you still get that extra last year of Juan Soto. That has value. That has value to a franchise. If they make the valiant effort with all the exclusive negotiating time that they have and they get to the, the finish line of the World Series ends in three years, oh, we couldn't get it done. You still got that extra year of Juan Soto and you get to turn to your fans and say, we offered him 400 millions. We just couldn't get it done. It wasn't the right fit for either one of us. But boy, wasn't all that Juan Soto great? 
And that's what you're giving up right now. If you're trading him with three years left in his deal, that's a lot of Juan Soto. If you're thinking a baseball player's career is 15 years, if he's lucky, you're talking a fifth of the Juan Soto. I think a fifth of Juan Soto sounds delightful. That's what you're giving up. And to get back Cameron Mabin and Adam Miller, maybe, who knows? Like, I don't know. Uh, That is, it's a tough sell. The other part of this, this is such a, really mostly an intellectual exercise at this point, because when you look at the reality of it, it's so difficult. I don't know if there's enough like suckers in the game to do it now. Like, you know, like for instance, we were looking at that Marlins trade, right? Mickey Cabrera. I mean, <laughs> check out the names, right? Like for a blockbuster to be that one-sided. I have a hard time envisioning a scenario where, you know, people don't have a good enough read on their own players to have that happen. There's more sophistication in the sport about assigning value in the way that makes sense to you, you know, for each team. Now, you can disagree with some of the nuance in that, and that's what makes the difference in how people are valued, obviously. But I think just in general, as a sport, just so much more sophisticated that it's really, really difficult. It's another obstacle as far as pulling off something like this, which, you know, I think Rosenthal called it a dubious baseball idea, and I would tend to agree with that anyway. You need several things in order to make this happen, right? You need a very good farm system. You need to have financial resources both to, or will it have financial resources? You need to have an owner willing to spend, and that's both for Soto and for the theoretical poison pill you might have to take back with him, whether it's, you know, Corbin. I suggested like Steven Strasburg, uh, but the Nationals, I, I would assume, have insurance on him, and so that's less of a financial burden. Anyway, theoretically, you eat a bad contract coming back. And you need to have a general manager or a head of baseball operations or an ownership group who's not risk averse. There's not that many places in baseball that check all of those. There's teams that have money. There's teams that have a good farm. And there's teams that have sort of crazy GMs. But not many fit all three. I'll add one more box. And this is something that I think people get overlooked this a little bit. Even if you had the crazy GM that wasn't risk averse, that person also needs to be able to manage up and convince that owner that, hey, this is something we need to do. And that's not everywhere either. All right. Like that's skill. And it is a skill. Not easy and not a given. Manage up and manage down, too, because you need to basically tell your player development people, right? Hey, I know we build all this. We got to give it all up. We have to like we have to get you know this was like a thing that the Royals when they were trading for uh, James Shields that a, a big issue that you know sort of uh, the folks at the top you know like Dayton Moore had was basically selling all the guys on the development side basically like we have to do this like we and the guys on the development side are like we have put years into you know uh, Will Myers we have put years into uh, uh, you know Mike Montgomery Jake Odorizzi the other guys in the trade and so it's like it's a real skill you have to be able to convince the people who work for you that their work is valued and we're turning it into this guy but you also have to convince your owner like hey you're going to have to spend for well, let's say it's for 2 years of one soda not 3 you're going to have to spend about uh, $55 million, you know, in our maybe more, you know, more than we would be spending, but it's totally worth it because we're getting, you know, a you know, six, seven win player, this much more at the box office, this much more jersey sold, all that stuff. But we have to give up a lot. And if it doesn't work, we have made it potentially more difficult to win in year four. Now, like these are not arguments that necessarily like 
fans care about, but for these guys who are, think in terms of, you know, probabilities and uh, how do we keep the window as open for as long as possible, it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like I said, it's an intellectual exercise because it's, it's just very difficult to actually pull it off if the Nationals are even all that interested in moving him, which they probably shouldn't be until next year. That's what I kind of wanted to get at before we switch topics is that I just want to make sure that we're all clear that we know and the people listening know why we're talking about trading Juan Soto. It's not because Mike Rizzo came out and said, uh, listen, we're up against the eight ball. We got to trade Juan Soto. It's not because Juan Soto says I'd like a trade and I'd like it now. It's because ESPN's Buster Only wrote uh, a piece. It's uh, titled, Will the Nationals Trade Juan Soto? Could Carlos Correa be on the move? 10 X factors as MLB trade market heats up. And the money quote from the Juan Soto section is, Quote, if they're not going to sign him to a long-term deal, then they'll need to trade him, end quote, one evaluator said. The question is, when? Like, that's it. That's the rumor, is one evaluator, one unnamed evaluator said, listen, maybe they have to deal him now. Maybe, like, when are they going to do it? It's basically what we do here, and we know nothing. Like, we're the evaluators here. We're talking about trading Juan Soto. It's it's just bonkers that that kind of kernel in a, you know, well-intentioned, rumor kind of column has blossomed into this ecosystem of gosh everyone's talking about Juan Soto right now well it's May there's nothing else to talk about the games don't matter for several months um but it's a real thing like it's it's a real thing that the Nationals I'm sure you know assuredly have discussed and which every front office should be discussing now like whether it's like a thing oh he he, there you know Mike Rizzo's actively making calls no but it's true, right? Like what what people and you know if you talk to people around the game, like everyone knows the score with this. They have this guy, this elite, elite, elite player who's going to cost a ton of money several years down the road. The team is effectively in tatters. The big league roster stinks. The farm system's not particularly good. You have a lame duck uh, GM and I believe a lame duck manager. Uh, or something where they have options that need to be picked up relatively soon for next year. You have an ownership group considering selling. Like, yeah, like, what do you do with your best asset? It's a real thing. It's just not grounded in, like, concrete uh, negotiations as of right now. All the conditions exist, right? Like, instability. That's one. It's instability and also it's a tribute to how great a player this guy is, frankly. Just that, you know, there's only one of Juan Soto. And if all around him, you've got this instability, I think naturally from that flow these conversations, you know, and what's quote unquote real is that it depends on who you ask sometimes, right? Like I think, and he said it and he's right, man. Like if you're a front office in the sport that hasn't at least like had a conversation about this possibility, then probably doing it wrong. So, you know, I don't know what real means, but it certainly feels like it's real enough. <laughs> and so here we are chatting about it's it. It's one of those things, like, I don't think, Billy Epler is, would be someone who like want to talk about this, but I always thought it'd be like a fun story idea, you know, back when he was GM of the Angels and before they signed Trout to a long-term deal, to just be like, all right, what's the dumbest offer you've gotten for Trout? Like, what's the dumbest approach? You you know, has anyone called and offered like one prospect? I don't know the exact details and I, and I just, you know, whatever. There's like a, a famous story between two execs where they're sort of texting about uh, an offer and a guy, you know, offers like a C-level prospect for an A-level pending free agent. And the, the other GM responds like, come on, man. And the, the, G, the second GM writes back like, LOL, had to try. It's like, yeah, you got to ask, <laughs> right? It happens more now because so much of their interactions are on text. And so what they'll get back 
I think Brian Cashman has said this before. Like it's it's a parlor game for him to figure out what like animated gift to send back. You know, like some version <laughs> like a middle finger or whatever, but more clever than that. So yeah, like it's just even the way they communicate just makes it easier to do that. Ah, why not? There's an old David Cross bit that I'm not going to repeat in its entirety because it's a little little vulgar, but it's talking about people who are taking the trash away and they're catcalling the women walking by. And the gist of it is like 99% of them, they keep walking, but maybe that hundredth, you know? So why wouldn't you just... Uh, I will say before moving on, because I know this will hit home with Mark, I can think of another player in that Juan Soto, Miguel Cabrera uh, tier, uh, young, Ricky Henderson. How did that affect mm. your childhood? when Ricky Gosh. Henderson was traded. So that was early for me. I was into it when Ricky came back. Oh, uh, okay. okay. So that was cool. That was my dude growing up. I had the the bright yellow fluorescent Mizuno gloves and I wasn't fast at all, but I would crouch down every time I got on base. <laughs> so that was my guy. That was, that was big news. That was big news. All right, we are gonna move on. We're gonna move on to the Orioles calling up Adley Rutschman, uh, which is exciting. He is the future of Orioles baseball, and, and goodness knows that we all have just tons of opinions on Orioles baseball all the time. But it is, after years of just floundering, this is the guy. This is the guy that they've wanted. This is the guy the fans have wanted. And it just seems to me, we've talked about Bobby Witt Jr., and we've talked about uh, C.J. Abrams and prospects who weren't necessarily ready. This seems to me to be the clearest cut case of the Orioles literally stealing money from Rutschman by keeping him down until they make sure that he's not going to bother them with Super 2 stuff. And I just want to talk about how gross it is. And I, I just wanted to talk about it with two buddies. Isn't it gross? It seems gross. Do I have to go heel here? Just to, just to change it up? I'm going to go heel too. Like, I don't, I, I don't care at all. Stealing money, man. Like, they're just they're Every employer the steals money from their employees. Oh, and the now American who's the way, comrade? Man. You know, now who's the comrade? <laughs> I, I'm say, no, I'm saying workers of the world. You know how hard I work for this podcast? <laughs> no. Anyway, yeah, I mean, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by the way, you know Craig is like officially management? Like he's the enemy. What? Yeah. Really? Well, he's an editor <laughs> at the paper, at the thing. He's management. Uh, he's not one of true. us, Grant. Can I have a raise? Not anymore. We'll talk about it at your eval. <laughs> I asked Mark specifically if I could be if he could be my direct report and he said that was the worst idea I've ever heard. Uh so anyway. So yeah, okay, so they stole money from him. They manipulated his service time. Right? Like, all right. Maybe he'll come up and succeed in the big like I I I don't know. All right, so let me take another tack. So we have we have Rutschman is as a switch hitting can't miss catcher for the Orioles. That sounds very, very familiar, right? And so we're talking about Matt Weeders. That's the obvious comparison. They're different players. I hate when people take those two things and like bang them together and say, well, this is an obvious comp. I'm not so sure it is, but it's certainly not the worst comp. And if you're talking about 2009, when Matt Weeders is 23 years old and he's the best prospect in baseball by leaps and bounds, if he were a free agent, at that moment, so he's 23, the best prospect in baseball. What kind of contract does he get? Just spitball it. This is, I guess, 2010. So you have to factor in inflation and in, in back then. <laughs> now, just I'm, I'm just terrible I'm, with this. Yeah, but just like a ballpark number. I wouldn't even know where to start, honestly. Because like, okay, we're in a world where Matt Weeders is a free agent as a rookie, right? That means all the other rookies are too. 
if that's the world that exists, and as we know, the reason why that doesn't happen is because the union understands that if you flood the market with good players, nobody gets paid or very few people get paid. You have to create scarcity. There's a reason why we don't get like unfettered, you know, players, you know, on the market because you, you have to have a supply and demand aspect to this. And it's beneficial to the players, obviously. Now, they would like it to be sooner, clearly. But this idea of just having a market full of players like that, when you ask that question, it's hard to answer because in that world, then none of the numbers matter. It's also why that world doesn't exist partly because I, I feel like if the owners were like, okay, let's do that, which they'd never do, like the players would rightfully be like, oh, wait a minute, that's too much supply. You know, Grant, I just want to say that you and I, we're going to march day and night by the big cooling tower and Mark has the plant, but we have the power. Where's my burrito? Where's my <laughs> uh, burrito? Yeah, I mean, I do think the the Weeders Cop is very interesting, though, in terms of um, maybe like reshaping expectations, because I think there's no way to frame the Matt Weeders era in Baltimore as anything but a, a massive success, except if you remember, you know, Matt Weeders facts and the hype of Matt Weeders, as we always talk about 2008 baseball writing on this, if you remember the hype, right, you would view his career as like a, I think he's like a two or three time all-star, you know, I think he's like a 20 win player. You'd view it as a, a bit disappointing, but no, Matt Weeders had an awesome career. He was a great player, you know, and four time all-star, four time all-star. The team went to the playoffs several years, you know, he wasn't Johnny Bench, but he was really, really good. And I think, with Adley Rutschman, if he's not Johnny Bench but still really good, you have to call him a success. The problem is with the amount of tanking that the Orioles have done to this point is it's almost like if Rutschman turns out to be just Matt Weeders, is that enough to justify what the past four or five years of it? Now, obviously, there's other guys coming in the system, they have, but this is sort of one of the issues created by doing hard tanks is, you know, you need to have like, you know, 95th percentile outcomes on a lot of guys for it to really feel worthwhile, I think. You know, I covered the Orioles in 08, so I remember this really, really well. I remember Weeders being in spring training that year, um, you know, as it was typically happens with guys of that stature, right? I think one difference is, you know, this tanking, as awful as it is to watch, and I think as reprehensible as the idea is in general, was at least a plan. Whereas the 2008 Orioles just stunk for a long time. <laughs> and they just had a lot of instability in the front office. They had two GMs at one point running the joint at the same time. Nobody knew who to call. Peter Angelos is the owner. Those are well-documented issues as sort of the, the barriers that he would throw up there for people like we're trying to run the club. So it's a little bit different in that regard, right? Like this, I think Rushman has more pressure on him because he's the product of a plan, like a, the process, like it, in Philadelphia. Whereas, you know, Matt Wieters, there was a lot of expectations there, no doubt about it. And his hype as a prospect was crazy. But also, you know, part of the reason that they won wasn't necessarily that they tanked or had a great plan is that Andy McPhail pulled off a pretty big trade. You know, they got Adam Jones from Seattle and there were deals like that that they'd kind of made to speed up the process. And even though McPhail wasn't there when they turned it around and actually made it to the playoffs, like a lot of those players were a product of that. So there, it wasn't this, this massive plan by one group like it is right now. Elias and that crew, like this has been their their deal from start to finish. 
So I think that changes the context a bit. But also, like, it, it's an interesting question, right? They haven't won a World Series since 1983. If they were to win one, is that enough? Because that who are the last two teams that tanked like this? Chicago, Houston. What do they come away with? One. And I was thinking about this the other day. Was that enough? I think in Chicago's case, you could I mean, first they broke the curse. So I, I think you can make that argument. But, but what about Houston? You know, and they've been really, they've had more sustained success, right? They're in the playoffs every year. They're a threat every year, even though the cast has changed, but they've got one and there's an asterisk next to it. Is that enough? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to argue that what, you know, not to get into the moralizing of like how they uh, had conducted themselves. Uh, I think that, uh, God, I guess that is somewhat, I don't know. I don't feel like getting a text from Drellick about this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's obviously the Astros' decision to tank worked out better for the franchise. That does not excuse uh, some of the practices they engaged in along the way. But I think the general, like if you're picking a lane, they picked a lane that went well. I think what teams like Milwaukee, San Francisco, uh, even you know before they became uh, this new version, like Oakland, the, the sort of like the less of a hard tank, but still find ways to like sort of pivot and bounce back had just makes more sense. Like you mentioned, like trading for Adam Jones, uh, which obviously in order to trade, you have to have resources to trade. We know that the Orioles, you know, when they were taken over by uh, Michael Elias did not have a very good farm system or a good big league system. However, they did have like, you know, Manny Machado, for example, I think there's there's more that could have been done for the big league roster in the subsequent years uh, while so that when Rutschman comes up, there's just a better environment waiting for him in terms of talent on the roster. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. 
wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. One thing that every successful tank job has, and people forget about this, is parting gifts left by the regime that got canned. Jose Altuve, George Springer, that wasn't the new regime. That was the old regime. Even you go back to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers, you know, Ned Coletti left a bounty. Ned left the most stocked cupboard ever. Yes, and that's what it takes. So it's not just tanking for one guy, because that's a dumb idea in in baseball, certainly. Just to, we're going to pin all our hopes, and, and Adley Rutschman, if he's not our Buster Posey, boy, howdy, like this is going to be a mess. You have to have just a very broad swath of prospects, but you also have to get lucky with the competency of the people who did poorly enough to get canned. And I'm not sure if the Orioles have that. They don't have Logan Webb. You know, the Giants' success last year was great. Well, Logan Webb came from the Brian Sabian era. And every team that crawls out of the muck and mire probably has a story or two or six just like that. That's a great point. Hadn't thought of it like that. I was wrong, by the way. They'd already traded They'd already traded Machado. I'm an idiot. I was wrong about that. I apologize. Mark was praising my point, though. Oh, let's, let's yeah, 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 yeah. Let me do it again. Grant, what an awesome point that was. I just wouldn't have thought of Put it Put it like in a that. formal yeah, review, but... you management stooge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it during your uh, review. Just get the TPS reports my way before that, as you know. Oh, man. No, I just, especially in baseball, when it comes to tanking for one guy... I remember when the Giants were awful in 2018 or 19, I I was joking about tank for torque. Spencer Torkelson, he's going to be the guy. He's obviously going to hit 300, 400, 500. He's the guy. Tank for torque. Tank for torque is fun to say. But you can't just do that. You can't tank for a player, even if it's maybe, I don't know, maybe if you're talking about like the Bryce Harper, the Alex Rodriguez, I just... There's a very thin Ken Griffey Jr., that class of 1-1 draft picks, first round, first overall, and there just aren't that many of those ever in baseball history. So you can't just tank for one player. I just mean that the, the idea that there would should be more revenue, uh, more money spent on the big league roster, uh, you know, more resources put into it so that there is less pressure when you bring up you know, an elite prospect. One of the things that made the Dodgers so successful is that when they were sort of integrating sort of prospects like Corey Seager or Cody Bellinger or Will Smith into the lineup, they were joining a lineup that had other all-stars in it. And so those guys were not asked to, you know, sort of carry the load, whether implicitly or explicitly, I guess. And with Rutschman, it's you know, it's 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 more far more implicit than explicit, right? The, you know, it's not like the Orioles are like sitting him down and being like, "Son, we have bet everything on you. Please do not screw this up." <laughs> However, like that's kind of what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're talking about tanking, right? Let's comp some tanks. Chicago plays in the NL Central. Houston in the AL West. And if you look at the teams in those divisions, right? It's not like there are these financial monsters sitting there 
you know, some of them are well run, right? No doubt about it. But there's no financial monsters there. Let's look at the American League East for a second. The degree of difficulty, I feel like, that's facing the Baltimore Orioles in this project is by far the most difficult of any team that's attempted it because the Yankees are going nowhere. The Red Sox have already shown that they go up and down, but when it's up, right, like they're scary. And then the Toronto Blue Jays, when they decide that they're going to be a big city team and like, you know, like in the window they're in now, look out. And then Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. The barriers in front of them just to win their division year in and year out seems staggering to me. Even if this whole tank works, that all of those players are what they think they're going to be. That Adley Rushman is like Johnny Bench or whatever, you know, like it's a staggering amount of things that have to go right because the other four clubs in that division, you're not going to get much let up there. I think it's my turn to say, Mark, I've never really thought about it like that. that it's crazy, excellent. right? Like when you think about it, like that's for I me. Mean, my goodness, whether they're rich or well-run or both, that's a scary gauntlet. That's the thing where is you can. So now Orioles, you are tasked with becoming wicked smart. You're just going to be wildly, wildly, a brilliantly run front office. Are you going to be the second? smartest team in that division the the third okay now you're gonna spend money you're gonna be a financial powerhouse spend 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 to go with those smarts are you going to be the third richest team in that division it's just even if you are up the upper echelon and as far as all of baseball is concerned you're still in the AL East. when the least formidable competition you are going up against is the toronto blue jays that's a bit of a problem <laughs> like they have a whole country that's true and they're number four in terms of like in terms of like the biggest obstacle right because the yankees are a behemoth the red sox are a behemoth the rays are uh have created basically like a flywheel that it seems like it's not going to stop anytime soon if they keep developing through the farm system and then you got toronto where it's like they're just like a pretty well-run team that built up a lot of homegrown talent and is willing to spend money and again has a whole country at their disposal in terms of resources. I'm curious as to when it comes time to spend money. What's the appetite by the Baltimore Orioles? Now, because in the past, right, if you look at teams that used to lead the league in payroll, Oakland A's you'd see up there, believe it or not, right? Like in that era, the A's were up there. The Baltimore Orioles, mid-90s, they were up there. And, you know, I think Angels owned the club at that point too, I think. So obviously different time, but like, I don't know. I think it gets real interesting when, all right, these guys come up, they're young, but if you're going to compete in a division like that, at some point you figure they're going to have to spend some money. Are they going to do it? All right, let's move on to our final topic of the day. Jason Benetti was on our The Athletic Baseball Show on Monday, and he just made some really great points about the the Tim Anderson, Josh Donaldson thing. And he talked about, his, his quote was, uh, a person like Tim Anderson in the game of baseball should never feel like he has to say that he wasn't bothering somebody. He really eloquently put how much Tim Anderson has been othered to get to this point in his baseball career, how it's just not okay. And he ended it by saying, I don't even want to talk about Josh Donaldson in this. I just want to focus on the humanity of Tim Anderson. And I think that that was a really good way to put it. But I think that leaves a space, a lane for us to talk about the gender, general dingustude of Josh Donaldson, and maybe not to vilify him, but just the general dingus idea of, I say what I want, I don't care, you know, come on, snowflake, like just that idea of 
words can't matter. Like, come on, everyone's so soft these days. I think that is, there's a lane for us to talk about that because it drives me up the wall. Giving oxygen to this, having spent a couple of days in the Bronx is going to, is going to be irritating, but um, I don't know. Mark, do you, you want to go? Do you want me to go? It's up to you. Go ahead. No, you go for it. Give it some oxygen. I, it's going to irritate you. Tim Anderson didn't talk on Sunday night after the game. He hit a big home run in the second game. I ended up writing about it, you know, uh, for us. And, you know, as a reporter, I would have preferred Tim Anderson had spoken to us post game. I, you know, would have wanted to, him to explain sort of, you know, his thought process, you know, what it was like sort of being jeered and, you know, having a few dopes like braying Jackie Robinson's name in him and all that sort of stuff. And so as a reporter, I, I would have preferred he spoke to us. I always prefer that guys talk to us. But at the same time, I'm sitting there thinking, like, why does he have to keep explaining this? Why does he have to keep explaining what's going on here? It's very obvious that what Donaldson said was, uh, in the most charitable reading, you know, as I wrote, it's, you know, poor taste and bad timing. You know, clearly, Anderson has every right to feel upset by it. And I think trying to frame it as if you're going to compare yourself to Jackie Robinson, you know, you got to be able to take the heat as I've seen some folks do. And as my, as my mentions have been suggesting for several days now, it's like, do you understand why Tim Anderson compared himself to Jackie Robinson in the sports illustrated story from several years ago? Part one of the things he was talking about is how baseball has fewer and fewer people who look like him in the game. And so that means, you know, he, this is a person who understands both Jackie Robinson's history in the game and his own role in that, in that lineage of African-American players. And so if this is irritating and exhausting to me, like if, uh, just a dumb white guy, like imagine what it feels like to actually be like a person of color. Like, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm a bit out of my depth having to talk about this because it's so obvious what's going on, but it's also like no one wants to hear what another, you know, dopey white guy has to say about this shit. Well, I was listening to it. I, I wanted to hear some of that. I think it's good to talk about this. Yeah, stuff. no, I mean, you're right. We went, through, we went through a lot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And if it feels uncomfortable, folks, it should be. All right. Unfortunately, like we watch this stuff to get away oftentimes from having to think about uncomfortable things. But this is the world we live in. And Josh Donaldson, you know, uh, exposed himself to be an idiot. And, you know, I'm going to give James Fegan, our White Sox Reddit, uh, writer, some credit for writing a column right after this that basically said if you have, there's like zero reason to believe Josh Donaldson. And he's right. You know, and this is how it happened, guys. The way it works out in a game after a game, right? Maybe Tim Anderson talks before Josh Donaldson. Maybe it's the other way around. And it's kind of total luck. In this case... Tim Anderson talk first. And then they could take what he said, go to Josh Donaldson, and Josh Donaldson talks next. Well, by the time that happens, you know who's not at the park anymore? Tim Anderson. And so what gets left to sort of set the narrative moving forward? What Josh Donaldson said. Even though, as James Feagan pointed out in his really well-written column, there's absolutely no reason to believe that line. Right? Oh, it's an inside joke. And yet... He happened to be the last person to talk that day. And so that becomes the center of all the talking about this story. So, oh, he said it was an inside joke. And what blows my mind is that, 
you know, how many people were just willing to believe that without hearing from the other guy, right? Because like, look at the reaction and like, look who's saying it too, by the way. This is not exactly somebody who is beloved in clubhouses he's in. Like he's had beef with his own teammates. So I was bothered by the fact that he was given that much credibility when clearly the reaction showed you that was a line of bullshit from Josh Donaldson. To me, because I live in a bubble and I don't have to think about any of this ever if I don't want to, that perspective just was like, obviously, I I thought I had perspective earlier, but just that sense of, man, I can't even just do this one thing without feeling like I'm very, without realizing how different I am from everyone else. And really, it's too much to say, this is a Josh Donaldson problem. You know, he's the villain that he's clearly like, there's bad and there's good and he's on the bad side. It's just this idea of, there's a lot of Josh Donaldson's. There's a lot of people who are unwilling to take two seconds to consider why, how, what I'm doing. Just all these, just take two seconds to consider how this could affect someone. And when you get the feedback, take another two seconds and go, yeah, I get it. All right. You know, I can at least have some empathy. Okay. And that just seems very lacking. And so it's less a Josh Donaldson problem and more a general problem of people aren't willing to take those two seconds. And I I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, I'll tell you, I, I heard this a lot in the aftermath. Saw it on Twitter a lot. Man, not everything's racial. But a lot of people that say that, I find, to those folks, nothing is. That's the problem. Because I can get with that. All right, I can get with the idea that like, yeah, you know, maybe there are things that we're, for our, where we are, right, and, and having these conversations that like, you, you might be quick to paint a racial element to. I'm not saying that's what happened in this case. I'm just saying the general idea that that might happen sometimes. Okay, I can kind of get behind it. But when it's being said by folks that I can hear think that nothing's racial, then I can't get behind it. And I think that's the issue. Like Some things just are racial. It's fairly obvious this is racial. It's not controversial to say that. Like It's, it's very clear. But it, it shouldn't be controversial, but it is because like I saw it all over the place. All over the place. And it's just like, what? What am I missing here? Like, what the hell am I missing here? And it's, it's because... Oftentimes when people say, no, everything's racial, what they really want to say is nothing's racial, which is, of course, total bullshit. It's not lost on me that this is uh, the conversation around a sport that has so much to do with decorum in that there is still this hardline group of, of people and fans who are saying, act like you've been there before. Don't show any emotion out there. You know, don't. And what they're really saying is you don't want to show people, you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And it's this idea of, you know, you have to consider the other person. And it's very funny that you have the Venn diagram is almost a a circle of the people say you have to consider their feelings. You don't have to consider their feelings. It's so simple to take a couple. Not It's not simple, but it just it should be the default is take a couple seconds and consider feelings. And is it really hurting their humanity to flip a bat? I don't think so. Is it really hurting their humanity to make them feel as if they are out of place? Because a lot of times they are. I think that that is very reasonable ask. Uh, These aren't about bat flips and any of that shit. This is about supremacy. That's what's being challenged here. That's the problem. When people react that way, that's the threat. Period. Supremacy. I want you to explain that a little bit more. Well, who, who has shaped the culture of the game for more than a century? Who? Guys that look like you. And so anybody that pushes against that, it's a threat. Like it's, you know, we see it, unfortunately, everywhere. 
right? And this day you see it. So why would baseball be exempt from that? That's what all this shit comes back down to. That's why it's so frustrating. All right. Like we care about feelings being hurt. Like whose feelings? Who? Like who, who's been calling the shots to this point? Who's been shaping all this shit about what you're supposed to do on a ball field? It's not Tatis. Whose feelings really matter? Yeah. And what you're saying, right? What we're reinforcing when this shit comes up is that white people's feelings are the ones that matter. Now, I have a hard time saying that because like, and this is the, the tough thing is like, well, I have to stick my neck out. Like, people are going to hear this and gonna beat me over the head for saying that. You know, your turn is in revolt. Everything's so racial. I, mean, you know, I got to go hear that. But like, look at the situation, man. Every time one of these flare-ups happen, that's the root of the issue. It's a threat to the people who, have, you know, the, the folks who have historically set the tone and culture of the sport. All right. And it's all those nasty ideas that come up when you get pushback on that. Like, that's what this is. It sucks. But that's what this is. So let's not conflate that. Let's not pretend it's just we don't like bat flips. We don't like guys scoring. We don't like celebrate. No, it's deeper than that. All that shit is tied together by one thing. Supremacy. All right. That is well said. This has been episode number eight of The Roundtable. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here now. We don't have special guests. We have us. We have Mark. We have Mark and Andy. I guess it's more like a triangle table. It's uh, I don't know. It's not. It's not a round table per se. But I, I really appreciate your feedback and your jokes. And uh, this is this is awesome. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us in the future. And we will be back next week to talk about stuff. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.